Welcome to Atomic Moms, a modern parenting podcast about the joys and complexities of caring for our children and ourselves. I'm Ellie Noss, and since 2014, we've been celebrating and commiserating with world-class experts, best-selling authors, and parents around the world. So I've never been at a podcast recording with a candle on the table. <laughs> This is this is some real ambiance. Yes, that's what I was going for, Hillary. I even I don't so, but <laughs> for listeners who haven't seen my podcast studio, I have curtains hanging around on the walls to like help with the sound, but my lovely sound engineer Owen got mad about the curtains, some of you might recall, because it wasn't as effective as hanging blankets. Mm. So I have hung IKEA coverlets behind the curtains. And because I can't sew, I got these massive safety pins. Mm. And that was like a really good, that was, that yeah, that felt like my podcast, uh, my weird podcast win, Yes, which totally works because today everybody, this is so exciting for me. I have Hillary Frank sitting across from me. It is Sunday morning. We are pre-recording, obviously. It is Oscars Sunday. Hillary Frank, you look like you're about to walk the red carpet. She's, <laughs> she's going to a book signing at Skylight, I which am. is the best bookshop in all of Los Angeles, perhaps the West Coast, I'd say. And you look ready for it. Oh, thank you. <laughs> so I'm going to pretend like you dressed up just for me. Hillary Frank is the award-winning creator of the Longest Shortest Time podcast, a This American Life contributor and author and illustrator of three young adult novels. Her latest book is Weird Parenting Wins, Bathtub Dining, Family Screams, and Other Hacks from the Parenting Trenches. Ah. <sighs> Hillary, welcome to Atomic Moms. Thanks for having me. You had a day off yesterday. I did. You're on this, I can't even imagine what it's like to go on a book tour. I mean, I kind of fantasize about it, although <laughs> it seems very anxiety-inducing. Like, you have to, like, pick out your outfits, and you have to, like, stand up in front of a lot of people, and you're, like, in weird hotel rooms. This is my... This is what I'm imagining. It is a lot of that. Um, you end up in some weird ladies podcast studio on a Sunday morning with a candle <laughs> burning. <laughs> I mean, this this is all very relaxing over here. You you have like like a like a little water feature outside, and I walked in and I was like, oh, this is this is very calming. I feel like I'm at a spa. That's very sweet of you to say. We did get a water feature, everybody. <laughs> I think I ordered it on Wayfair, and Adam has not figured out how to put it together yet. And your daughter answered the door yes. by yelling at me about why she had only one sock on. Yes. It was yeah. because she got a bee sting. And her aunt Haley told her to put toothpaste on the bee sting and that that would help. So Did we it? put two, I don't know, that and the Benadryl and a lot of iPad this morning, I think. <laughs> yeah. So clearly yeah. I'm winning as a parent. Absolutely. On The Longest Shortest Time, you've been doing this for so many years. When the publishers of your book reached out to me about this interview, I was like, of course I will interview the mom of all mom podcasts. <laughs> you don't talk to experts, though. You guys are not into the expert thing, which I think is great because it gives me an angle. Because <laughs> I'm, um, I'm like the queen of reading all the expert books and talking to experts. Yeah. Well, we have— 
experts on occasionally, mm-hmm. like if we're doing a big series, especially. So, so like, like sex. Yeah. So like sex and parenthood, we had a Sarah Perel on. And then when I did the It's a Real Mother series about discrimination against working moms, you know, we had Bridget Schulte on. And so I don't like to do like the straight up um, expert interview just on its mm-hmm. own, but like in context of trying to explore a topic, I will do it. Did you feel like you had high expectations going into parenting or low expectations? Like, did you think you'd be good at it? <laughs> I was a really good babysitter. You were? I was. I was the worst. I loved babysitting. And so I think I thought it would be a lot like that. And that I had, I had like my little tricks to get the kids to go to sleep and stop crying, which was basically like just speaking in a calming voice and being like, mommy's going to be home so soon. You know, if you're, if you just shut your eyes and let me sit with you, mommy will be home by the time you open your eyes in the morning. And, you know, but I do not have that kind of patience and demeanor as a mother. (laughs) Yeah. I just remember in middle school babysitting once. I was obsessed with the babysitter's club. Mm-hmm. So I thought I would be good at babysitting. Uh, Anna Martin was a personal hero of mine. I actually went to her college. And <laughs> in my application essay for my college, it says, how did you find out about this college? And I was like, well, Anna Martin wrote in the bio at the back of the babysitter's club that she went there. So, yeah, I was obsessed with the idea of babysitting. But I think that was more just my entrepreneurial itch mm-hmm. and less about the children because I remember chasing a kid, oh my God, through a neighbor's backyard once. And I was like, I have no control over this. And I told the parents and I was like, ah, which I, I guess you probably shouldn't do. Like tell them that you have <laughs> no control because I wasn't invited back. The whole thing, I just, I wasn't good at it. So I had very low expectations, which I think is maybe why I'm cool with asking experts because I don't take it I just think I thought I'd be so bad that like any win feels like a feather in my cap, which is why I loved your book so much. Thanks. You know, as we're talking, I'm I'm like flashing back to all these babysitting memories (laughs) I haven't thought about in a while. And there's a technique I used with a little two or three year old that I used to babysit that I realized I use with my daughter now, which is in the summer when they're being annoying. I used to get him um, to hose me down. I lived down the street from him. So I would let him like bring out the hose and hose me down as much as he wanted. Um, Brilliant. And I do that with my daughter sometimes still. Like I'm just, I'm in my clothes. I don't even like, I don't put on a bathing suit. It's just like hose me down. And that's half the fun, right? Yeah. That like mom is in her clothes. I was like, oh, this is the parenting expert book that I've been waiting for. It just (laughs) happens to come from all the moms across the country and from Hillary Frank. Because not only do you get your kid to do things that you might not think that you'd like that you're struggling with, but also like you have fun while you're doing it, Mm -hmm. which is like the double win. One of my favorite from the book comes from Natalie. Natalie in Canada, she wrote, when my eldest was going through a super whiny toddler stage and I was sleep deprived from a new baby, I decided to start putting bow ties on my toddler. Mm -hmm. It's virtually impossible to lose it on a toddler and a rainbow bow tie. So Hillary, what are your favorite weird parenting wins? So one of my favorites is something from a woman named Maggie that she calls what's on my butt. And the way you play is you lie face down on a couch and you tell your kid to go fetch some random object to put on your butt. 
and they put it on your butt and then you have to guess what it is. And the longer it takes you to guess, the longer you get to lie there. (laughs) And what's the weirdest thing you've put on your butt lately? So my daughter (laughs) um, put a wind-up toy on my butt. It's like a seal that um, has a spinning ball on its nose. (laughs) But I couldn't tell what it was for a long time because it's just very light. And and it just felt like, I don't know, like a pencil. I don't know. And um then it took me it took me a long time and then she finally was like, Let me give you a clue and she wound it up and stuck it on my butt. <laughs> and it was definitely a weird feeling to have a, a spinning wind up toy on my butt. Yeah. You said that she's turning nine. The day you get back. Yeah. So I get back. I'll get back at like midnight (laughs) um, tomorrow. And then when she wakes up, it will be her birthday and I will be there. What are you going to do for it? Any family (sighs) rituals? She wants to get Ethiopian food (laughs) for her birthday. That sounds amazing. She also wants to get her ears pierced. Oh, which, yeah. Tell me more. Yeah. She's been asking this for this for a long time. Yeah. Sabrina started asking. Yeah. And I told her, like, I want to know that she can take the responsibility of turning them herself. And so it's been sort of how I've been bribing her to get to bed. I'm like, I need to see, I need to see that you can like brush your teeth and put your, get get yourself in bed and not keep coming out. It's part of showing me that you're responsible and, and old enough. Mm -hmm. I just had to tell Sabrina that my ear swallowed my earring hole. Um, it was like an eighth grade. We went to Tennessee or something for school, mm-hmm. and it got so infected that it swallowed my earring. Oh, my God. Um, so is it still in there? No. But I had to have, like, my math teacher help poke it out. It was horrible. <laughs> anyway, moving on. So Ethiopian food, you share. And I got to say that the personal essays that you share at the beginning of the chapters are some of my favorite parts of the book. You write— Chicken kebabs used to be her favorite dinner until that day when she asked me if this was the dead body of a chicken in her mouth, which was the last time she ate meat, except for bacon and salami. (laughs) Is that still true? Now she doesn't eat bacon or salami. (laughs) My five-year-old does. She's been very concerned lately about this, which makes a lot of sense. But she also does love the salami and bacon. So I was like laughing reading about that. (laughs) She admits that she likes the taste, but it just grosses her out too much to think about where it came from. Is she a storyteller and is she a conversationalist? (laughs) Oh, my God. She doesn't stop talking until she is asleep. (laughs) She talks all day long. She can talk to anybody. And I think it's a real life skill. I was really shy as a kid. And uh, my husband and I are both introverts. But she's totally the opposite. And I don't know if she so much tells stories, but she writes songs. That's, that she she tries to work stories into them. And you did the illustrations for this book. Is she into drawing? She does like to draw. Yeah. yeah. And when I was drawing the, the illustrations for the book, it was really fun because she would come home from school and be like, what did you draw today, mommy? Aww. And it's cool because a lot of the stuff I do on the show and a lot of this, the personal stuff I wrote about in the book is is really adult content. And I, I can't tell her too much about it or have her listen to a lot mm-hmm. of it. And so it was cool to be able to um, share with her 
what the illustrations were depicting and describe the the strategy behind it. And she'd be like, ooh, that's a good one. <laughs> well, because I'm sitting across from, you know, the most epic podcaster slash mother in the business, I, I got to share with you that we're applying to schools for Sabrina next year for kindergarten and, you know, through elementary school. And the process in Los Angeles is so... There's no way to describe it. But for one of the schools, it has the name Polytechnic in it. You have to do an assessment from like an outside psychologist or something. And so we just got our assessment letter back for Sabrina. And this is all supposed to be like highly confidential, but I'm just going to have to share it on the podcast with you. <laughs> so under transitions between activities, it says... Sabrina was eager to engage the screener in conversation, requiring multiple instances of redirection to the task at hand. <laughs> and I was like, that is amazing. It was like, it was for any schools that might be listening. It also said that she's very, uh, she has infectious energy and charisma. But I was laughing so hard because again and again, it talks about how she just wanted to chat up. Yeah. Like the person who was supposed yeah. to be assessing her. Yeah. <laughs> when Sasha was in preschool, like very young, like daycare, she, I guess she must have been around like a year and a half, a little older, and they would put them down for nap. And <laughs> she would just want to keep talking and she would talk to whoever was lying next to her. And so <laughs> the teacher started holding her Aww. and then she would just talk to the teacher. <laughs> <laughs> so they started putting her in a stroller and walking her around. She wouldn't sleep. And she would just lie in the stroller and look up at the teacher and be chatting her up. Oh, my God. That's hilarious and adorable. And I feel like she definitely has a future in radio. <laughs> right. Uh, we'll see. <laughs> okay. You recently, you know, this is going to be a hard left turn. And maybe you can give me some help on transitioning okay. within a podcast interview. I think just saying, hey, we're taking a hard left turn. We're going to take uh, a hard left turn yeah. here. You recently set the internet on fire with your New York Times opinion piece, The Special Misogyny Reserved for Mothers. So for the very few who have not read it yet, can you share with us what prompted you to sit down at your computer and share these thoughts that have been like kind of dwelling inside mm -hmm. you for a while. Yeah. So this is something I had thought about writing for about a year. I I had a draft of it sitting on my computer for a year before wow. I polished it up. And it felt, I think, for a while um, just too scary to put mm -hmm. out into the world because I there were like people and behaviors I was calling out in the industry that I work in, mm -hmm. several of whom probably would recognize themselves. I, I didn't name anybody. And I worried that it could harm my career, um, that like, oh, I'll never work again. But then I think I reached a point where I was like, no, I think I've established myself well enough that I that won't be a problem for me. I am in a position where I can write something like this and it would be okay. So, you know, I think it's sort of like a death by a thousand cuts kind of thing. Like I had experienced all these little examples of misogyny for being a mom um, at work that at the time that they each happened, the smaller ones, at least, I, I was like, well, that's just weird. Why are they talking to me? Like, why mm -hmm. would that person say that, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know? But then when I looked at it all together, 
collectively. I was like, this amounts to like a systemic societal problem. Yeah. I'm, I got all riled up when I was reading it just with the podcast aspect, because our first year um, that Bianca and I were doing the podcast, we were with a production company that has since gone under, but um, it was all dudes there. And I remember some of the emails really rubbing me the wrong way. And this feeling that like I needed to respond to everything with an exclamation point. And some listeners who've been with us for four years will remember me kind of talking a little bit about this in the moment of like, why do I have to make, I want to just respect this as the job that it is. And for like the, the craft that I'm doing without feeling like I have to be like a cheerleading little girl that makes everybody happy and is like totally cool with not asking questions about advertising and stuff Mm -hmm. like that. I should have just only been grateful to be there. Right. Reading your piece really hit that home for me. And I want to share this quote that you wrote. It's nonsense to say that stories about moms are not relatable. I don't hear anyone fretting over whether 99% invisible listeners are all architects or radio lab listeners are all scientists. In story-based reporting, this is what we do. We take the specific and we present it in a compelling way to make other humans connect with it. Yeah. And I think just to add on to that, the topic of family is about as, a, as universal as you get. You know, everyone has one in in one way or another. And even if you don't have a traditional family, there's a compelling story there. So what gives? Well, I I think we I think we don't value mothers in our society. And I think that like women are kind of held on a pedestal. I know there's tons of misogyny <laughs> against women before they become mothers, but they're they're sort of ad- admired in certain ways. And then once we have a child, we're kind of like our value goes down and we're, you know, there's an expectation that we're supposed to be the ideal mother who, you know, cares about nothing but her child and is home. Um, but also has an amazing Instagram feed. Exactly. And volunteers every hour of the day at the school. Exactly. I mean, I think the interesting thing to me after my op-ed came out was hearing from women who were like, oh, my God, you know, this stuff is so embedded in our society that I've even I have these thoughts, you know, Mm -hmm. like there are women who have these thoughts that don't want to have them, but they but they find themselves having a bias against moms. Right. Or even circling back to the beginning of this interview, when I, when my first thought about your book tour is the stress of knowing what I would wear. Like, <laughs> that's ridiculous, and no man would ever think that, and it's ridiculous for me to say that to you, but that actually is something that— No, it stresses stress me, me out. out. It does? <laughs> okay. So it's not just me. Yeah, yeah. I, but that's I, also part of the <laughs> expectations of society, right? I, I mean, I think so. I don't I stress out about what to wear in general, so <laughs> it doesn't feel specific. <laughs> uh, well, I am, I think it's on my mind as well because we, uh, let me take a moment to brag. Adam got invited to the Warner Brothers Oscar party tonight, and so obviously I'm his trophy wife. And it's so annoying. Like, he gets to wear a tux that I forced him to buy like three years ago for a wedding that I was in. And that's it, man. 
And I had to go to like rent the runway. They have like a store in Woodland Hills that I had to go to. And then I had to go to men's warehouse to like beg them to (laughs) do like a temporary hem on the dress (laughs) so I could wear it without dripping. I I don't think a woman had ever brought a gown into men's warehouse before, but it worked. But just all of these. Another great hack. Yeah, another hack. Go where they don't expect you. Because I knew if I took it to a dry cleaners, they would be like, we can't do this. We don't have time. Mm -hmm. Um, But I knew that a men's warehouse was like weird enough like that it would catch them off guard. Yeah. And they'd be like, okay. <laughs> Thank you, Men's Warehouse. Big shout out. So anyway, one thing that I'm really trying to crack with this podcast is how do we transition between work and family um, in a way that we don't go nuts? For example, this morning, my five-year-old with the one sock and the toothpaste on her toe, she kept interrupting me. And I was like, I don't want to parent right now. I want to work on my parenting podcast, mm-hmm. which is like terrible, but also legitimate. Yeah. How do you keep sane with the requirements that people have in your life um, and also with your work? It's a faulty premise. I don't know that I do keep sane, but here are some strategies. That, that I've used. As far as work goes, I've tried to implement this strategy that was inspired by um, Caitlin Prest's No series from the heart. It, it's about sexual consent, but I have found when I heard it, I felt like I could apply some of the stuff she talked about just to my life in general. So I decided last year for New Year's that my resolution would be to approach all requests I got from a default position of no. And if I imagine myself saying no to this thing and it made me feel relieved, I would know to follow through on the no. And if it made me feel agitated and like I I wished I could still do the thing, then I would reconsider and think about saying yes. Because I think... um, I and, I, and I think this is very typical of women, tend to say yes to everything, even if I don't want to do it. And it, it can make, it can be crazy making. And then as far as my kid, you know, I try to make sure I have time where I am just completely connecting with her. And so in the, in the last couple of years, I've started a thing um, on Sunday mornings. We go out for breakfast together and I let her pick where we're going to go. And it's usually like some diner and we go and like the last time we went, she ordered a Mickey Mouse shaped pancake. <laughs> and like, I was like, this is the best breakfast date ever. That is. Um, so there's that. And then also, I think when you are in those positions where like, you kind of need to be working and your kid is around. There are a lot of distraction techniques that you can use. And and those were some of my favorites in the book, actually. Come on, give us some. Yeah. So there's the mom who gives her kid uh, maxi pads to play with <laughs> because they're like stickers and you can stick them on the ground. <laughs> um, she, I think the girl like uses them as, as a boat and puts that puts her toy animals on them. It's like they're going on a trip. 
Um, so in a similar vein, Sabrina once, when I think she was three years old, I will never forget, she took out a tampon from my purse and tried to blow it like a whistle. Yeah. <laughs> Endlessly entertaining. Then there's like when your kid can start to write, like challenge them to write down words on Post-its and like stick them on whatever the object is around your house, like send them on a mission that will send them away from you for a little bit. There was also a lot of bathtub action. And I was like, we are not utilizing our bathtub enough as a parenting tool. Like this Uh idea of there was a lot of like put the kids in the bathtub with glow sticks, turn off the lights, (laughs) stay in there with them, but you get some quiet time. Yeah. I use bath bombs as bribes often because I like, I don't want to, I don't want to, bribe with sweets. I do bribe with sweets sometimes, but, but like, but the bath bomb is cool because it's like, then it, then it makes them take a longer bath yeah. and like just chill out. Self-care. Yeah. <laughs> when I was perusing the back of your book, you share that you went to a hotel and you were the only guest at the hotel. Mm. What was it like to spend a week away just working on the book? Yeah. So I was in this inn in the Catskills. I was the only guest. There was snow all over the ground. And the only person I talked to was the bartender. And I promise it was nothing like The Shining, (laughs) except for those details. I was just sitting there typing away. Yeah. (laughs) What was your drink of choice? Um, There was was something like gingery. It was like, yeah. Is like with vodka and, and ginger beer, I think. So, yeah, I went in and did that. And I, ju- I did the same thing at the end of this past year. Um, I think I'm going to make it an annual thing mm-hmm. where I go for a few days and hole up and work intensively on something. And it was great. That first time you decided to do it, what did that look like? Because I think a lot of mothers get that impulse and Mm -hmm. then they start thinking like, oh, but then the logistics of figuring out how to leave and like to actually carve out that time for yourself and your artistic pursuits. Like, is it just the pressure of having, you know, a book deadline or what what gets you out the door and up to the Catskills? My husband traveling a lot for work. He he's in a different job right now, but he he was in a super demanding job where he traveled a lot. And I was really carrying the brunt of the child rearing, but all, but had just as demanding of a job. Mm-hmm. And so we made an agreement that I would get to go somewhere, e- even though I didn't have to travel for work, and it, that it would help me accomplish my deadline. Because when he travels, I do work. I do have to work less um, because I because I am. Uh, managing the child rearing as well. So like more than more than I would if he was home. So that was an agreement between us. And I just went and I booked everything and then kind of I helped them as much as I could before I left. And and I like I, I cooked all of this like like lentil soup and stuff ahead of time. So they would have things to eat, but also so I would have food to take with me because the place I go is very remote. <laughs> So and I, I just I just have like a little kitchenette, but um, no, it's it's lovely. It really is. <laughs> <laughs> I was not I breaking know. down a door with an axe. <laughs> I feel like the Spruceton Inn is going to get a lot of action after this book tour. <laughs> Suddenly, you're going to show up next year, and there's going to be all these amazing moms working on their projects. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. The cat is out of the bag. Right. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Where do you find creative inspiration when you're not in the cat skills? Like, is it in the shower? Yes. Is it driving? What's your spot? In the shower. Shower. (laughs) If if I'm having a block, I also don't shower as much as I should. (laughs) I hear that from, like, every mom. Yeah. I'm the opposite. I shower nonstop. So sometimes I'll, I'll because I work at home, I can kind of yeah. shower at random times mm-hmm. during the day. And so I'll sometimes be like, oh, I'm having like a block. I, I, I like I'm just overwhelmed with stuff and I can't even think straight. Like I have to write a newsletter and I don't even know what to write yeah. about. So then I'll be like, OK, I'm just going to take a quick shower. And it usually clears my mind and I'm able to think of the thing I need to do in the shower. And I talk to myself in the shower, too. Out to, loud? Yes, or in your yeah, head? yeah, okay. out loud to like, I'll be like, okay, what do I need to do? Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay, what, do you use body wash, soap? What's, mm. I, I use soap, yeah. Is there a scent? I really like eucalyptus oh, scented yeah. soap. It's invigorating. Mm-hmm. Sometimes okay. peppermint. Mm-hmm. We're drinking peppermint tea right we now, are. everybody. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why I find this all so funny. I think because... As someone who had anxiety for so many years, and obviously it always kind of like shows up, that I just kind of crack myself up about all the ways that I attempt to keep my shit together. You know, it's like the candles and the, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, the flowers and, you know, the water feature that my husband will eventually put together. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> what are these ways that I can make my space feel like it's on my side? Mm-hmm. Since I have you here and you've been working on this podcast for nine years, eight years? Eight years. How has the parenting landscape changed since you started this podcast? It's changed a lot. So when I started this show at the end of 2010, it really felt like there wasn't anything out there addressing parenthood in the way that I was seeking. So I had had this really rough childbirth and recovery, and I went looking for books that were like other people's personal stories to make me feel less alone. And, um, you know, because I I just, I was sick of the expert books making me feel like Mm -hmm. I was failing. And so I just wanted to hear some personal stories. And there were a few books that that were great, um, notably Operating Instructions by Anne Lamott. And I can remember going to a gynecologist appointment and sitting in the waiting room. And there was another young mom there. And she saw me holding the book and she said, that's the only good one. That's the only book I've enjoyed about motherhood. That's the only one that like gets it. And I'm sure we were wrong and there were others, but it was, it felt like it was the only one. Now, I think that there are a lot more books and there are, and, and there's a variety in the books. There's books about people's experiences becoming mothers. There's books about people who have decided not to become mothers and why. There's books about loss. And there's even great reporting about like work-life balance stuff, you know? And there's more coming out all the time. It's very encouraging. 
Is it weird to look on the Apple podcast charts and see all of the mom podcasts out there now? It makes sense to me. I think there's a real need for it. And it makes sense that, you know, in this medium that you can um, do out of your home, it makes sense to me that there are a lot of moms who would feel the need to tell their stories or to interview people about their stories. And because it's a thing that they can do, that they would. So last year, you guys had a huge transition and you have a new host yeah. of Longest Shortest Time. Can you share with us a little bit about what that transition was like for you personally, mm-hmm. handing over the microphone to Andrea? So I had previously edited Andrea Salenzi's podcast, Y-O-Y, about dating. And it was, I, I would talk to her once a week, and we both kind of admitted to each other that it was our favorite part of the week was when we connected. And so when I was thinking about who could who could take my place on the podcast, she just was the first person who came to mind. She is not a mom yet. She very much wants to be. And I just, you know, in my work, I've always taken risks and not done the obvious thing. And I just thought it was so interesting to hand this over to somebody who was really compelled by the subject matter and just wanted to soak in everything about it. And she's a great storyteller. And it just felt it just felt really right to me. When I reached out and asked for a mom bomb, which is <laughs> something that Bianca and I came up with our first year of the podcast, basically it's an inspiring quote or like kind of a swift kick in the butt. When I reached out and asked for your mom bomb, you shared a fortune cookie, which feels like it's in yeah. a similar vein. Will you share that with us? Yeah, I actually I have it in my bag so I can read it verbatim to you. Opening up my wallet right now. Yeah, so I once got this fortune cookie, and the fortune in it said, the greatest risk is not taking one. And I kept it, and I keep it in my wallet all the time. How has that fortune cookie (laughs) note informed this past year for you in this book launch? The greatest risk is not taking one. I mean, I think that that, I really honestly thought about that fortune cookie. (laughs) A lot when I decided to stop hosting the show. It was a thing that I had been thinking about doing for a while, and it just felt too risky. And then I just kept looking at that fortune cookie mm-hmm. message and uh, telling myself I really that I really had to do it because if I didn't, I would be unhappy, <laughs> and that was a greater risk. That's beautiful. Thank you so much, Hillary. I got a listener question recently on Instagram, and I need to respond to it. I find that I check Instagram when I'm supposed to be playing with my children. Yeah, okay, admitting it. And then I'll get a message, and then I'll forget to respond. And then I kind of, like, let it build up, and I'm like, I don't know what I would say. So since you're here, I'll ask you. She wanted to know if I had any advice for starting a podcast. Mm-hmm. That's hard. I, it's like so many years ago for me. Well, so my advice in starting any project is to, like, when you get to the place where you're going to pitch it to somebody, 
is to approach it in a way that you think nobody else ever has to surprise them both in your writing and in your content um, and just in like how you approach them. And that has always worked for me. Like my first, um, my first This American Life story was an unsolicited submission that I sent in with a piece that I had made using a micro cassette answering machine and a shiny red boom box. And I just FedExed it to Ira Glass. And when he got it, he called me on my answering machine because it caught his attention. Do you still have it? I have the piece, yeah. Did you, have you listened to that first piece Yeah, in the past yeah. few years? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's terrible. <laughs> there, there are good, there are good moments, but it's too long. Huh. Um, I mean, it was a thing I just made by myself, like this and, whole podcast for me. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. and I, I just, I was like reading my script into the boombox microphone, and you could hear all the clicks and pops when oh, I was yeah. pressing pause and stuff. And but there were really, there were good moments in it, and I can see why it caught his attention. That is so cool. Is it encouraging to see how much you've grown as a creator? Yeah. I mean, I think I feel really lucky that despite the amateurism on the face of of that product that I sent him, that Ira was able to see potential in me and take a chance on me and and treat me like a professional. And I think that fact that he did that when I was so young has helped give me the confidence to build what I've built. God, that's so beautiful. And it makes me think about teachers and like when, when a teacher, I had this one English teacher in high school, Miss Ballard, and the way she would treat us, like the bar was so high, but because she had that bar so high, we would rise to the occasion because she had um, the confidence in us. We rose to, to the occasion, and mm-hmm. that's just so cool. Mm-hmm. And it's incredible when we can do that for one another, you know, outside the classroom. And once we grow up and we're in these industries, how in the first several years did you put out the podcast sporadically and maintain a listenership? Well, podcasting wasn't then what it is today, and I did not— in the early days, have an expectation of making money on it. I made it really just as a calling card. I was a, I was applying for full-time jobs in radio. I wanted to be a radio editor. And I wanted to prove that I still had chops after having taken a maternity leave. I had always been a freelancer before that. And I just, I wanted to just have a product that I could send around. And so I did it whenever I could. I couldn't afford childcare, really. I, I would have a babysitter, like very, uh, very little bit. But mostly, I was working during my daughter's naps and when she went to bed. And so I just told myself, I will just, I will just do this when I have the time and when I feel like it. I didn't want to ever like force myself to do it. That changed when um, I did start making money on it. And and then it became my job, and I, but then I could afford more childcare. So it worked out. In closing, 
What are you looking forward to most in producing this next year of The Longest Shortest Time? <sighs> I am not as involved in the show as I have been in the in the past. And so it's exciting to me to tune in and be as surprised, maybe not as surprised as people in the audience of what's coming, because I know a little bit. But like, I just recently listened to the MILF show that Andrea did. And it is one of my favorite things that's been on the longest, shortest time. And the MILF show is something we had been talking about for a long time. And I just, I, I love how she executed it. And so I'm looking forward to more things like that. I also, our producer, Jackie, is going to be hosting a show soon. I just, I just was in San Jose and Jackie lives in the Bay Area. So she came to see me. Listeners to The Long Shortest Time might not realize all three of us live in different cities. So Andrea just moved to L.A., and Jackie's in Oakland, and I'm in New York. So I'm seeing both of them on this trip. But Jackie was telling me about a show she's really excited that they're working on, and she was like, and I'm hosting it. And th this is like the first I was learning of it, and I was so excited for her. So I just love all these little surprises and, and supporting them in whatever way I can. That's amazing. I also want to point our listeners in the direction of the series that we spoke about a little earlier in this episode, It's a Real Mother. It's a series about workplace discrimination. Um, you know, just put the little earbuds in your ears, moms. Listen away. I got so much done while I was listening to that series, and it really charged me up. Like, if you need energy to, like, <laughs> like, if you want some, like, frustration energy to like <laughs> compel you to like finally tackle that project you've been avoiding those that's the series to listen to and i also have to say that i loved uh episode number 183 the postpartum house arrest it's about an OBGYN whose immigrant mother has her own plans for uh, her daughter's fourth trimester listeners Pick up weird parenting wins, bathtub dining, family screams, and other hacks from the parenting trenches. It's by Hillary Frank. You can also check out The Longest Shortest Time. I'm sure you guys already all subscribe to that. And anything else? Where should they find you? You're not huge on social media. like I'm not. Longest Shortest Time is huger. Yeah. Um, but you can find me on Twitter and on Instagram but probably better to follow Longest Shortest Yeah, time. I respect that. And mm -hmm. I want to clarify, when I say you're not huge on social media, I just mean like you have— I'm you, not very active. You're focused in other areas, yeah. which I totally respect. But Longest Shortest Time Instagram is really great. And if people subscribe to the Longest Shortest Time newsletter, I'm exclusively sharing some new weird parenting wins that I pick up on the road and, and from listeners— after the book has been published. I'm sharing those through the newsletter. I love it. Okay, listeners, don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Show notes are at atomicmoms.com. Share this with all your friends. Until next week. Oh my God, my stomach is growling. I want those Mickey Mouse pancakes. That daughter had. <laughs> yeah. uh, until next week, trust in your goodness, live out your greatness, rock on, Atomic Moms. Atomic Moms. 